it is for any St. Mary's fan uh, coming off of this weekend. Welcome on into the unofficial WCC Hoops podcast. I'm Zach Farmer. Uh, this was a this was the highlight week. This we just came out of a weekend where we had Gonzaga and St. Mary's, and we this is always the marquee matchup in the WCC. We got a great one on Saturday. Yes, marred by some very very poor uh, officiating uh, in that one, and we'll get to and we'll start with that. But we're also just going we're going to go over. Um, talking about Santa Clara dropping a pair of games and inexplicable loss to San Diego uh, that to an extent should not have been completely surprising. And we'll get into that as well. USF uh, also USF picked up a couple of wins this week. They were kind of your nothing to write home about nothing really impressive. They almost did. They were actually neck and neck with Pacific and we'll also get into that as well. Uh, but before we go any further, be sure to actually hit the subscribe button and like on your favorite streaming services and follow on Twitter at Post by Zach and also on the on the Twitter account for the podcast on off WCC pod. All right. As I mentioned, Gonzaga, St. Mary's happened on Saturday and this was the game I think we you always hope in these sorts of rivalry games. This thing went back and forth, back and forth all night long. There were 13 lead changes, five ties. This was what you wanted. This is the type of game you hope to see each and every time that two rivals of this caliber run into each other. And we can go into the fish. I don't like focusing there. I'm just going to make one note that yes, it was not good for most of the game. And it did get worse in those last couple of minutes. Yes. Aiden Mahaney kicked the ball. Yes. It from the replay, it does look, he clearly stepped out of bounds. It may or may not have made a difference in the game. We will never know, but here's what we can take and what we do know. And it's that St. Mary's came into this one, not to say needing it, but it was going to kind of solidify the work that has been done over the last two months. For Gonzaga, this was a must. This was a must-have. This was almost a must-win for the Zags. They they came in not having a quad one victory. They had four opportunities before this one and ha- weren't able to get it done. And they were in a lot of brackets on the outside looking in. And in fact, almost every bracket, Gonzaga is on the outside looking in. So this was critical for them. This was critical, I think, on an image front for St. Mary's. I don't think they could go into go on this really impressive streak of nine in a row and uh, 13 of 14, 14 of 15, and then not beat Gonzaga. It would have almost like, not to say not necessarily just negated everything that had happened before, but it would have it would have felt a little questionable as far as their at-large status, even if like St. Mary's does end up winning uh, the WCC tournament. Like they've, I think they've clearly re-entered the at-large conversation. So a loss here would have been tough. And 
final score did end up being 62-64, but how we got there was a bit of a roller coaster. Gonzaga played well pretty pretty much out of the gate in this one. Uh, St. Mary started 0 for 9 from the field. They shot 40% in that first half. They were out-rebounded. They were losing in the paint 24 to 12. Both Aiden Mahaney and Augustus Marshallonis were in foul trouble. Gonzaga shot 53% in the first half. Ryan Nebhard had 12 of his 18 in that first half as well. He was looking really good. All of that to be said, St. Mary's trailed by one at the half. And in that second half, we got to see the St. Mary's defense that we had seen all year long. That they really put the clamps down on Gonzaga. And that is when this game went back and forth. Uh, Gonzaga did have a nine-point lead at a couple of different points there in the first half. And St. Mary's just chipped away, chipped away, chipped away. And in that second half, this was it was one possession to the next, changing leads one one possession to the next. And a critical stretch came with 517 to go. EK Graham EK had just picked up his fourth foul and came out for Braden Huff. At which point Gonzaga led had a three-point lead 55-52. And then in very quick order, Saxon gets a bucket and end one against Huff. Aiden Mahaney hits a jumper. And Josh Jefferson hits a step back after Huff gets caught on a switch. And in two minutes, it goes from a three-point zag lead to a five-point Gale lead. This was critical. And, the, and right after that Huff came out the game, EK re-entered uh, with, foul, with that fourth foul. And as we get wind it closer, yes, on the Mahaney play, Marshallonis hits a big three. And that, as much as, like, did, should it have happened, shouldn't have happened, the fact is, it did happen. And that's, and that was essentially the dagger in this one. You could maybe make the case for Josh Jefferson's three being that dagger as well. But this was a, this was very much a game that felt played at St. Mary's pace. Even if Gonzaga had a strong first half, even that first half, felt very much like a St. Mary's game. And I'm going to credit um I'm going to credit a couple of other people on this stat because this was I think critical to actually knowing this the pace of this one. Uh St. Mary's play by playman Alex Jensen who has obviously been on the program many times, he recorded uh that St. Gonzaga had 59 total possessions well, there were 59 total possessions in this game which was the lowest total for Gonzaga on the season and the second lowest total for St. Mary's. Uh, Stephen Carr, who does video for the Zags, also kind of added on to that stat and said that and noted that the 59 possessions for Gonzaga were the lowest and the fewest number that they have had since February of 2015. This was a St. Mary's paced game. It looked like a St. Mary's game. It was rough. It was defensive. It you saw some some interesting offense from time to time, but nothing came easy in this game. St. Mary's did have four players in double figures. Mahaney with twenty, 
Jefferson had 16, 11, and 4. Amazing performance by Josh Jefferson. He's the only Gale to play all 40 minutes. Uh, Saxon with 15 and 6. Dukas, Alex Dukas held scoreless in this one, and yet St. Mary still won. They had all of five turnovers in this game. Both teams took really good care of the ball. Gonzaga only had seven turnovers. Uh, and the, noting the five turnovers for St. Mary's, this was the seventh time in the last eight games where they have had fewer than 10 turnovers. Huge, huge thing for why they have been so good, especially of late. They held Gonzaga to a season low 62 points. They held Gonzaga to three for 14 from three. In that second half, they were held to 33%. Gonzaga was held to 33% from the field. For the game, Gonzaga was held to five team assists, which was their lowest total of the season for a team that averages 16. And for St. Mary's, they now move to 18 and 6. They're now 9 and 0 in WCC. They have a two game lead on Gonzaga and USF, and now a three-game lead on Santa Clara. They're in the driver's seat right now. They have enough of a cushion, and the second half of conference play gets vastly easier for, for the Gales. They're going to they they're gonna be at Pacific, at Portland, Pepperdine, San Francisco, San Diego, at Pepperdine, and Gonzaga. So they have seven more conference games and four of the last five are going to be played at home. And much of the rest of the seven are going to be against the lower tier of the conference. St. Mary's is set up to clinch a conference title, probably before they ever see Gonzaga. The key one in here, like I'm circling that USF game. That's really the kind of going to be like the swing game in St. Mary's quest to get a regular season championship and an, and a solo regular season championship. They had to share the one last year with Gonzaga. And looking outside of that, it's now it's they've picked up their fourth quad one victory, four and three in Q1s as of right now, six and four overall in Q1, Q2 opportunities. They snapped the five-game losing streak in Spokane, and they have been they held steady at 21 in the net. Looking around at some of the bracketology, they're somewhere in that seven to I've seen seven and I've seen as low as eleven still. So there's a bit of a wide range on where uh where bracketologists are putting St. Mary's at this point. Uh one of the interesting ones that did come that was posted um uh, over the weekend as an update after the Gonzaga game is the is CBS's bracket which had St. Mary's as a nine seed against an eight seed Florida team. So a, a potential rematch with uh with good old Todd Golden down there in Florida. So so right now St. Mary's is in control of their own fate, they have, I think they've done everything you can possibly do to bring your name back into the conversation and be considered a legitimate 
at-large contender, even if things go haywire in Vegas, after the slow start back in November and early December. You're always going to, everyone's going to always going to point to those two quad three losses and they are part of the resume. You can't get away from those. But the one thing that they have been able to do is to take care of the business against teams since that rough start. Talk about Colorado State. We can talk about USF. We can talk about Gonzaga. They still have the early one from New Mexico. Like they have done, they have rebuilt their resume to one that is going to put them in position in good position for a pretty favorable seed, I think, at this point. The only thing that it feels that can derail that now is a loss to one of the teams that should not that should not beat this squad. The Portland's the Pacific's the Pepperdines. You lose to one of them, then we're it then this team goes into hot water really quickly. Uh but outside of that, and I don't think we've seen any evidence of this St. Mary's team slowing down anytime soon. They're going to be sitting pretty comfortably once we get to selection Sunday. And they do have still a couple more quad one, or they have one more quad one opportunity, and that's the Gonzaga home game, assuming that Gonzaga holds form and is ends up being a, a quad one game holding. I think right now they're at about 28 in the net. so. They are kind of on that borderline of, well, now actually, if, even if they hold serve, like you beat them, do you actually move up? Do, do, does that bump them actually down further than the 30 mark? So little this or that on that front. And speaking of Gonzaga, Gonzaga did quite a few things well in this game. And it's not, and it's going to get overlooked by a lot of things. Ryan Nemhard had a great first half in this one. He had 18 points uh, overall, 12 in that first half, one assist. Again, didn't make the note about the only five assists for the game, which for a team that is so used to moving the ball and having this motion offense, this team got forced into a lot of one-on-one action and. Nemard was one of the guys who was able to take advantage of that. He was early on. He looked like he was going to be the driving force of this entire game. Anton Watson at 16 and 10. Again, another solid, solid performance from him. Graham E.K. with 12 and 12. Uh, he was in a little bit more foul trouble than Watson was uh, in this one. And he, so he did have to be taken out a couple of times. And obviously that did not work out in Gonzaga's favor as um, ended up being very uh, that St. Mary's and even USF last week went at Ben Gregg, not Ben Gregg, sorry, had Ben Gregg on the mind, went at Braden Huff time after time after time. So he has shown that against better opponents that he's maybe a little bit of a liability defensively. And it really hurt them in that two minute stretch, two and a half minute stretch there in the second half against St. Mary's. Gonzaga out-rebounded the Gales, which is an accomplishment in of itself. This is only the fifth time this season, and actually third straight game, where St. Mary's has been out-rebounded by their opponent. They didn't shoot well from three again. This has kind of been the story all year long. They don't have the shooters. 
They also don't have the depth. Both Nemhard and Watson played all 40. You had Nolan Hickman with 37. You had Graham E.K. with 35. You had Ben Gregg with 32. It's like every one of their starters had to play heavy, heavy minutes in this one. Not to say that St. Mary's guys also didn't do that, but we see this far too often from Gonzaga. And I I still think it's going to rear its ugly head at some point and really cost them at some point this year. And that and it's kind of crazy to think that the one thing we've that has been a sore thumb of this team has been the three-point shooting and we now look back at how valuable the absence of steel venters is and the fact that that would have been the role he would have played and now one guy should not be the one who relieves all of that pressure especially when he was supposed to be more of kind of the a more role player than than obviously main cog in this offense but his ability to his ability to stretch the floor what would have been his ability to stretch the floor has completely changed what this Gonzaga team looks like. The last few games, we've seen them become reliant upon their inside scoring, which, of course, they should do because that is where they are so good. They are so efficient inside the paint. But it allows defenses to collapse, and especially a defense like St. Mary's, which is one of the best defenses in the country, you're, you're making it almost easier on them long-term when you become when you have when you can remove a dimension from that offense or that from what you have to do defensively against them so the big picture for Gonzaga they are now 0 and 5 in quad 1 games they have 3 quad 1 opportunities left on the schedule probably 4 including the WCC tournament the remaining three that are on the schedule are all on the road at Kentucky, at USF, at St. Mary's. They are three and two on the road. And the two losses are to the two best road teams they have played on the road, Washington and Santa Clara. And those two losses are by a combined six points. So it's not like that they're really that far away in getting these road games. It's doing a lot of the little things right, which has, and just shooting well. Again, this is where it's like they just had, they did not shoot the three well against Washington. Obviously we know they did not shoot the three well against Santa Clara. And that has cost them both of those games. Maybe it is just a simple, it almost sounds like an oversimplification of what this team doesn't do well. But time and time again, it just seems like that's it. And the margin for error, it really now does seem, is at zero for Gonzaga. I think not only does Gonzaga need to likely take two of those three on the road, but then they also have to avoid a loss to anybody else. And theoretically, that should be fine. Except that there is one, there are two games that I think might 
you might be able to call trap games. Not many trap games because one of them is going to be pretty obvious. Is Santa Clara. That Santa Clara game toward the end of February is going to be critical. And that is a team that now knows it can beat Gonzaga. You can make the case they didn't, there were parts that they really needed to clean up and didn't play well with. Like they had 20 turnovers in the game against Gonzaga. That <laughs> They'll know that they, that's not going to actually get them a whole lot of wins. The fact that they won that game is more a miracle. Because what we saw from Gonzaga in that game has been the thing that has Gonzaga has struggled with most of the year. And that's, so you almost can take it as like, well, this is what Gonzaga is going to look like. Can Santa Clara look better than that? And Santa Clara, I know they're coming off a loss to San Diego and that's its own whole can of worms. But we've also seen their capability of even doing some of this damage on the road. You look at how they were able to come back against St. Mary's just the other night. Uh, 55 points in the second half and ended up turning a 22-point game at the ha- at half into a five-point um, nail-biter there at the end for St. Mary's. They're capable. And that's now a game you cannot lose. That would be a quad three loss if Santa Clara were to go up to the kennel and get a win. LMU is another one. Like I, again, I know that they got absolutely smashed the other night against Gonzaga. But they also just absolutely shot themselves in the foot repeatedly over and over and over again. 20 turnovers in that game for LMU, and most of them were self-inflicted. Most of them were not caused by Gonzaga's defense. It was just a matter of, here you go. Here's the basketball. I don't need it anymore. That's what it was. So looking at the remaining schedule, Gonzaga, really, it does feel like that they're, they're really on thin ice. They're really up against it at this point. This week especially, like, uh, they're gonna. They have Portland uh, on Wednesday this week, and then they're gonna be at Kentucky at Rupp Arena on Saturday. Then they're gonna be at LMU. They have Pacific at Portland. Then those last three games, and I've been harping on this for almost all season long. Those last three: Santa Clara at USF at St. Mary's. They're critical. They're critical for the at-large potential. You almost have to sweep it all at this point. Sands maybe losing to St. Mary's because I feel like you need the Kentucky game more. The Kentucky game is more valuable than the St. Mary's game. Not that the St. Mary's game isn't going to be valuable. Both are going to be incredibly valuable. But this team needs some quad one victories in any way they can get it. And I'm not even going to even bring up the, it's like, oh, they're going to have another one in the w, the WCC tournament. If they have another one in the WCC tournament, it's going to be the title game. And so it won't matter if you, if you play a quad, another quad one opponent. If you win that one, you're in anyway. It's only if you 
It's only if you lose another quad one game and do not have one on the resume. So they maybe they do have four more on the resume, but let's take the scenario and, and there's no way they get in with an 0-9 record against quad one opponents. And no one would think that that was a, that was a snub or anything like that. You had plenty of opportunities and you came up short every single time. Now, as far as this Saturday, I and a number of others who have been kind of circled this Kentucky game have looked at been like, man, I don't know how Gonzaga can really actually match up against this squad, especially saying this a couple weeks ago where this Kentucky team was starting to roll. They were starting to actually really play well. They started to kind of find a rhythm, but now they're coming off back-to-back losses in in their own building. They've lost three of four overall. This past week, they picked up losses to Florida and then lost to Tennessee 103-92 where Tennessee was in control the entire time. And their adjusted metrics, I mean, they're I mean, they're still they're still good. Ken Palm 27, net 26. So this is a great opportunity for Gonzaga. Uh Kentucky is 15 and 6 overall. They're 5 and 4 in the SEC. But this team is going to be one of the tougher teams to defend. They rack up 88 points per game. They shoot 40% from three as a team. Their adjusted adjusted offensive number is they're ranked seventh in the nation, uh, according to Ken Palm. And this this is going to be a a big challenge for Gonzaga. Uh, I don't think that they've seen quite the offensive firepower of a team on a team probably since the UConn game, uh, maybe even rolling all the way back to Purdue, but obviously they they all do this very differently. Uh, Antonio Reeves is going to be a huge, huge guy to watch in this, in this game. Six, six guard averages nearly 20 points per game. Uh, his splits are crazy. It's a 50, 50, 43, 88. He's going to light it up. And this is a bit of a bigger guard and Gonzaga, right? And the backcourt doesn't have a bigger guard. So it's going to be probably a little bit more of a collective effort on trying to figure out how best they can actually guard this. They might have to go back to using Dusty Stromer a little bit more in this one, just because they're going to have, they have to guard the perimeter. So they're going to have to guard the perimeter really well in this one to have a chance. And they might need just more speed and versatility out there. And the other challenging thing is that this, Kentucky team legitimately goes eight, nine players deep. They have nine players who average more than 15 minutes a game. And so Gonzaga's depth, I think is going to get tested in this as well because fresh bodies for Kentucky is just going to be a hard thing. I think that for this Gonzaga team to really be able to handle, especially with the athletes that they are going to be able to throw at, uh, at the Zags on Saturday. Now, one of the guy, one of the things that is leans in the Zags' favor is that Trey Mitchell uh, has been struggling of late, really struggling of late. Uh, 
Uh, the six nine forward, he's been averaging twelve points per game, seven oh, seven and a half rebounds, three assists, a oh, little over a block a game. But this past week, he had zero points against Tennessee, over three from the field in twenty four minutes. Against Florida, five points, nine rebounds, two for ten from the field in thirty eight minutes. There's been a little bit of a three game slide for for Mitchell. And his offensive numbers have just not been where they're used to seeing them. And in that stretch, you we've they've also seen Kentucky take a similar slide. So right now, it is a little bit of as Trey Mitchell goes, this Kentucky team goes. And this might be the opportunity, the window that Gonzaga can take advantage of. And this is a Kentucky team that is coming off of a couple, three of three losses in the last four back-to-back losses in their own building. I do think they're probably going to come ready to play on Saturday in, in what is a weird non-conference game in the midst of conference play. And Gonzaga's defense is still one of the better defenses in the country. They Their adjusted defensive rank is 34. We saw them play really good defense against St. Mary's on on Saturday. We've seen We've seen them do it against some good teams. But it really is going to be to me for Gonzaga. It is their defense and their their defense and their depth are going to get tested. But it almost seems like a little bit of a broken record. What they're going to need is probably is a big performance. I think from Nolan Hickman. They're mainly from three. They need him to be able to be the guy who can stretch the floor a bit more. And Ben Gregg, I think, is going to be a part of that as well that if Kentucky is allowed to just collapse upon the Zags in the paint and not have to worry about that three-point line, it is just going to make getting a getting a win in that building that much harder for Gonzaga. All right, so moving on to Santa Clara. And... This week did not go well for them. This was a rough, rough week. They started off with a game against St. Mary's on Wednesday. And in that one, they were down 15 to nothing before they ever put a point on the board, which was similar to what happened against Pepperdine just a week ago or two weeks ago. And they trailed at the half 44-22. Like they were down by 22 at the half. This was, it was a beatdown, And it was getting chippy. It was getting a little heated there at the beginning. And it continued to be that way into the second half. You may or may not have seen uh, Jalen Benjamin have that little kind of like pop shot to, to Mitchell Saxon in the ribs. And he got tossed for that one. But there was a lot of chippiness in this one. And probably because they got a, Santa Clara got embarrassed by the St. Mary's team in their own building a few weeks ago. But as, as we know, this Santa Clara team isn't, isn't capable of beating anybody. And they stormed back in the second half to make it a one possession game late. They had 55 points in the second half. They ended up only losing by five, 82, 77. They shot 51% from the field in that second half. Carlos Marshall was really good. 
the second half of that ball game, 23 points overall. Adama Ball ended up hitting some shots that only Adama Ball could hit. Uh, 18 for him. Johnny O'Neill had 15 and 9. So it, while it looked ugly at first, it became a game that was that end that was salvageable. They weren't blown out, and they, I think, it gave them a little bit more confidence that this was. This is more how they expect to play against St. Mary's. And I did too. The final score was a little bit more what I thought was going to happen in that game. It's just the way we got there was obviously not what I expected. Then a few nights later, they had San Diego coming in. San Diego was coming off of a loss to USF. Santa Clara coming off of a loss to St. Mary's. And Santa Clara had a lead midway through the second half. And then it all came falling apart. Santa Clara shot three for 19 from the field in the final 10 minutes of that contest. Overall, they had 20 turnovers. Uh, Leading scorer, Johnny O'Neill, he had 21 and 12 rebounds, but he was seven for 21 from the field. And then Adama Ball and Carlos Marshall combined for 10 points. The the crazy thing here is that they out-rebounded San Diego 51-29. They out-rebounded them by 22, yet found a way to lose by double digits on their home court. San Diego uh, won the per- points off turnover battle, as you probably uh, could expect, 24 to 11. Deuce Turner, 23 points for him. We like He has been just an absolute um, uh, firecracker and just instant offense for this Torero team. Uh, Steven James- Jameson, uh, 10 points, 10 rebounds, a double-double for him. Going into the weekend, the top four of the league had been 20-0 and 0 against the bottom four. And USD became the first team to beat one of the top four teams, not from the top four, this year. And I said it at the beginning of conference play, the, seeing the way San Diego was starting to gel the pieces, the young players were starting to develop. You could see the potential that they might sneak up on somebody and beat someone that they're, quote, not supposed to. And we finally saw it on Saturday. It had been a bit of a struggle, especially early on for uh, San Diego. I mean, they had Gonzaga twice in the first three, I think it was the first three weeks. They had St. Mary's in there. They had San they also had USF in there. It's like they had a lot of t- <laughs> They got beat up and beat up hard early part of conference play. Uh, but they get this, get a win 71-59 against Santa Clara on the road. The, this team is going to be a problem. Not, not like big time problem. Not like, obviously, like they're not going to beat Gonzaga. They're not going to beat St. Mary's, I don't think. But they're very capable of beating anybody else on a good night. And they had a good night against, against Santa Clara. 
For now, looking at Santa Clara, back to them. They are now six and three in conference play, which puts them in fourth. They're game back of both Gonzaga and USF. And there's a little bit of a pattern here that is developing for the Broncos. They beat Oregon then lost big the next night to Ohio State. They beat Gonzaga. They lost big to St. Mary's two nights later. Lost a really hard-fought game against St. Mary's. Three nights later, lose to San Diego. It, it appears that they are putting all the chips in the one basket and are succeeding in the one basket, but then almost take any level of goodwill away the next time out because they play as poorly as we've seen them play all year. The Ohio State game was bad. The St. Mary's game, first time around, was bad. The game against San Diego was bad. And this and this has been all year for Santa Clara. Up and down. Up and down. Up and down. And if you even just take a couple of those down games away, or even just make them closer, you're probably looking at a completely different we're looking at Santa Clara in a completely different way. That said, we are where we are, and they have a big matchup this week against USF on the hilltop. And this is going to be really fun to see because these two, when they get together, have some of the best conference games that we see all year. We saw it last year a couple different times, but no better than the than the quarterfinal game in the WCC tournament. That was an amazing game uh, between the Dons and the Broncos. We saw it a couple of years ago as well. These two teams just, that this one is one where it's like, we all always pay attention to Gonzaga and St. Mary's. USF Santa Clara is right there with them when it comes to just a rivalry game. Like these two are two of the original WCC teams. They ha are very familiar with each other. They're well coached. And these two squads have had some battles, especially of the recent vintages. So I'm really excited to see this one on Saturday. Uh, and USF is coming off of a couple of wins against Pacific against San Diego Neither of them were kind of like overly impressive, but they got a couple of wins coming off of the Gonzaga loss. So that is, that's, that's a critical thing for the Dons to kind of bounce back and be able to say, okay, we're, we're moving it back in the right direction. Uh, they're seven and two in conference play tied for second with Gonzaga. Gonzaga does currently hold the tiebreaker. and. In this game, for these two teams, I think the important part for Santa Clara, and already touched on it, 
is one, the turnovers. You are not going to be able to turn the ball over that often against a USF team and get away with it. They couldn't get away with it against San Diego. Somehow they got away with it against Gonzaga. But that was also because Gonzaga actually did not take great advantage of those turnovers. They were able, they, Santa Clara was good about at least like doing enough defensively on those, after those turnovers to slow them down. The other thing is the rebounding. This Santa Clara is still one of the bigger teams in the entire country. They are a bigger team than USF. I don't, they're not in the, they're not as athletic down low as USF is, but they are just massive. They, they're going to have minimum two guys on the floor at any given time that are bigger than USF's largest player, largest regular rotation player, I should say. And that's, and that is one of the keys, I think for two of the keys for Santa Clara, it's the turnovers and the rebounding. Obviously, on the flip side, of course, for USF, it's also the rebounding, but it's their three-point shooting. They are one of the better three-point shooting teams in the league, and when they are able to open it up and do that well, they are going to really give teams a challenge. And I think that's that is an area where USF has been, I think, more they've been more consistent than Santa Clara. And I think this is where we get into that conversation. USF is they don't get too far away from who they are. They are they are a solid team on a three-point line. They're a solid rebounding team. They're solid everywhere, really. They're de- they're a deeper team. They might they might be the deepest team in the WCC. I think they are the deepest team in the WCC. And and that's going to be another component. I think that they can take advantage of their bench strength is going that's going to help a lot in this one. I think you're going to need to see something out of Ryan Beasley. I think you're going to need to see uh, a little bit of something out of out of Isaiah Hawthorne. I think you're going to have to go a little deeper into the bench uh, for this one, kind of as we saw against Gonzaga. We saw Isaiah Hawthorne have a good first half in that one. Uh, Dwido Newberry is going to have to have a big game, I think, for them to have a shot against Santa Clara. The guards need to be solid. The guards don't need to be great. Marcus Williams and Malik Thomas don't have to light it up for 20 apiece. But they need to be solid. They need to take care of the basketball. They need to shoot well. They need to lead they need to lead the charge. And I think that's the that's the other key for USF is just maintain. Do what you've done best because if they play the way they are capable of, as we have seen all year long, and just be consistent. They should beat Santa Clara because Santa Clara is more than likely to find the way to beat themselves than USF is. All right. So a lot of games like so it's a little it's one of those weirder weeks. So we have the games kind of split up before Saturday. Tuesday, St. Mary's is taking on Pacific. Wednesday. Portland at Gonzaga and LMU is at San Diego. Thursday, the lone game is USF at Pepperdine. And Saturday's the big one. Uh, Gonzaga at Kentucky. St. Mary's is heading up to Portland. Pepperdine at LMU. San Diego Pacific. And then Santa Clara at USF. 
All right. Well, that'll do it for this episode of the unofficial WCC Hoops podcast. Be sure to hit the subscribe button and like on your favorite streaming service. Uh, and also then follow on Twitter on also the social medias at posts by Zach um, podcast account on off WCC pod. All right. That will wrap it up. Thanks for listening, everybody. And I will catch you later. Mm-hmm.